Now, Daniel chapter 7 is a hinge in the book of Daniel. We see that the first six chapters have been stories about Daniel. And the last six chapters will be testimony by Daniel about his various dreams, dreams, uh, visions, prayers, and conversations with these heavenly messengers. In chapters 1 through 6, we encountered the sovereignty of God in the context of human stories. In chapters 7 through 12, we will encounter the sovereignty of God in the context of heavenly visions. Chapters 1 through 6, well, it's been 80% narration and only about 20% prophecy. But chapters 7 through 12 will be 80% prophecy and 20% narration. In chapters 1 through 6, well, they've gone in chronological order, spanning Daniel's 70 years and plus as an exile in Babylon, while chapters 7 through 12 will look back on dreams and visions that Daniel had during that time. Now, since chapters 7 through 12 of Daniel will focus primarily on prophecy, it is important that we set some ground rules when it comes to the interpretation of prophecy. You all still here with me? Oh, that was a poor showing right there. <laughs> Number one, the book of Daniel is part of Holy Scripture and therefore inspired by God and it's accurate and trustworthy. Now, I have heard of some preachers that will preach the first six chapters of Daniel, but they won't preach the last six chapters of Daniel. And I think that's a mistake. The book of Daniel, all 12 chapters, are part of God's holy and inspired word. And it's our responsibility to be able to seek to understand it. Number two, the prophecies of Daniel must be understood in the relationship and the light of the other prophecies in Daniel. This is a fundamental rule of hermeneutics, a fundamental rule of studying Scripture. If you want to find out what something means in a particular text, then you look within the context of that text, or you go to that chapter, or you go to that book, or you go to that testament. You don't jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You might get there, but that's not your first step. So what we need to do is follow the normal rules of hermeneutics, the normal rules of interpretation, and say, okay, whatever we see here and we don't understand, maybe we can find some light shined on it from other portions of Daniel's prophecies in the book of Daniel. Number three, the prophecies of Daniel must be understood in light, in, in, in relationship to, and in light of Scripture without causing confusion or contradiction. All right? And that's my job. My job is to be able to help you understand the book of Daniel in the context of the rest of Scripture so that you're not confused and so that there's not contradictions in your own mind. Fourth, the, the prophet, prophetic literature uses figurative language, and one should be cautious in attempting to identify every head, horn, and toe. All right? Don't do that. All right? Be very cautious of doing that. And then lastly, often the, the simplest interpretation is the safest and the most edifying. Often the most simplest interpretation is what is most edifying to us. We don't have to get weird up in here, all right? 
chapter 7 is divided into two parts. Daniel wrote down his dream in verses 1 through 14. And then we see an angel gives a divine interpretation of the dream later on in the chapter. Daniel tells us that it was the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Now remember, Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson who ascended to the throne of Babylon after other successors had experienced untimely deaths or assassinations. Belshazzar is most remembered as the king who saw the handwriting on the wall that we looked at in chapter 5. He was killed that same night that he saw the handwriting on the wall when the Persians invaded the great capital city. So Daniel was telling us that he had his first dream in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, and that would have been about five years prior to the Persian invasion, five years prior to Belshazzar's death. So being a high government official for decades, Daniel knew how unstable Babylon really was and, and, and the possible invasions that might be coming from, from uh, these foreign armies. Now you have to realize that Daniel had been a faithful servant as, and he saw his friend Nebuchadnezzar die and then he saw all these other successors either assassinated or die weird deaths and, and now he's got this kid Belshazzar as the king and it's like Where, what's the world coming to? feeling a lot of insecurity here from a human point of view. But you also need to recognize that Daniel had interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue back in chapter 2 when Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that an inferior kingdom would conquer Babylon and other kingdoms would follow on the world stage. Daniel also knew that the God in heaven would send his messianic meteor to establish the kingdom of Christ, a kingdom that will never be destroyed and would endure forever and ever. Amen. But with this instability within the Babylonian Empire and this increasing threat of invading armies, Daniel desired to know more detail and receive divine confirmation on the revelation that he would already received back in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. You all know how much of an encouragement it is when a fellow Christian comes to you when you're going through times of instability. A fellow Christian comes to you and speaks the Word of God to you, reminds you of certain Bible passages, and, and, and tries to encourage you in the Word of God. And, and the whole time, you know the Bible verses that they're saying to you. You could quote them as well. But that's not the point. The point is, is that them coming to you and sharing the Word of God to you during this time when you feel so unstable is such a great encouragement, a great blessing. The Bible actually tells us that we should consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And for Daniel, he saw the day of the Babylonian collapse drawing near. And he needed a fresh reminder of God's Word. 
So God gave him a dream. So one night, Daniel was lying on his bed, and in the middle of the night, the Lord gave him a vision of the kingdoms of this world. It says in verse 2, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven cheering up the great sea. Now this is the first time that a dream is given directly to Daniel in the book of Daniel. And he recounts his whole experience by writing in the first person. His, his, he first ob- observes that the great sea is being stirred up by the four winds of heaven. The four winds of heaven. Now that signifies that what is going to be seen here is ordained by God. God is going to do what the vision will tell us about. The four winds of heaven also symbolize that Daniel's dream relates to the kingdoms of this world, not just to a particular region of the world. It's the four winds of heaven, like we would say the four corners of the earth, so to speak. The four winds of heaven, what causes the great sea to be stirred up into this raging storm, and this symbolizes chaos and instability and out of control danger, which is consistent in all uh, uh, prophecy language. When the seas are stirred up, it means there's extreme amount of chaos, uncontrolled danger. And then as he's seeing the sea being all stirred up, he sees four beasts, each different from the other, that came up out of the sea. Now, conservative scholars have agreed with very, 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 very few exceptions that these four great beasts signify the four great empires prior to the coming of Christ. These are the four same empires that Daniel had revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream. Remember, Christian teaching throughout the ages has always held that the four empires are Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But instead of a head of gold and a chest of silver and a thighs of bronze and legs of iron with feet of clay mixed with iron, Daniel sees a winged lion, a devouring bear, a winged leopard, and an indescribable beast with 11 horns. Weird, right? I mean, that would cause me to be greatly distressed and alarmed, as he's mentioned twice in the chapter. I'd be kind of freaked out if that was my dream. The Bible never underestimates the personal cost of receiving divine revelation. And we'll see that Daniel will have this same similar reaction of, of this distress and, this, and, uh, uh, that, uh, and what he's feeling. That He actually feels physically weak after he receives these visions. We, we see, we'll see it in the chapters to come. Even in the New Testament we see the Apostle John telling us that he fell down to the ground as a dead man when he saw the Son of Man standing before him. So the point is, is that we must take the Word of God seriously. And we must have a sober 
We must be spiritually sober as we seek to understand it. Let me just say it again. No weird stuff up in here. We ain't got time for that. Daniel was so distressed and alarmed by his dream that we see in the second part of the chapter that he approaches an angel standing nearby and he asks him for the exact meaning of the dream of these four beasts. And in verse 17, the angel told him the four beasts are the four kings that rise from the earth. Well, you know, he's thinking, okay, all right, I get, I get it. And it seems that Daniel was quite comfortable with the angel's explanation as it referred to the, to the first three beasts. But it is with this fourth beast. <laughs> That's the one that Daniel really desires to know the exact meaning of. It was this fourth beast that the text tells us several times that was different from the others that Daniel wants more detail about. Now notice that the other beasts are described as morphed mystical monsters. Whereas the fourth beast is too terrible to describe in any words at all. And what about those horns? <laughs> and what's going on with that annoying little horn and all of his blasphemed boasting going on? And what about this destruction when it all comes to an end? What happened? Well, the angel gives him an explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are the ten kings that will come from this kingdom. After them another king will arise, different than the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress His holy people and try to change the set times and law. The holy people will be delivered into His hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit and His power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. The angel tells Daniel that the fourth beast is the fourth king that will arise, and that he's different from the others, and he's different from the others because he has the ability to overcome the whole earth, crushing the whole earth under his foot. This fourth beast represents the ultimate manifestation of evil in the kingdoms of this world. This fourth beast represents the ultimate manifestation of anti-God forces in this world. And he breathes out violence upon the people of God. And this boastful little horn, how annoying is this guy? Well, he's more aggressive than all the rest, waging war against the saints to the point that he's overpowering them. And this arrogant horn will seek to wear down the saints of God by making altern alternations in the, land, the, the law of the land, basically legalizing the persecution against Christians. Don't think it doesn't happen. It happens even still today. This persecution, the Bible tells us in verse 25, will continue for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, even though the 
majority of conservative biblical scholars throughout the ages have overwhelmingly agreed that the fourth beast is the Roman Empire. There has been a wide range of discussion concerning these ten horns and especially this annoying little horn. And let me just suggest to you that the ambiguity is on purpose. The ambiguity is purposeful. The point is, is that rising from the time of the Roman Empire until the second coming of Christ, there will be a reoccurring pattern of hostility from the kingdoms of this world against the church and an antichrist sediment from the kingdoms of this world that will grow in intensity until the second coming of Christ. You, you all know what kingdom was in power when Jesus fulfilled the redemptive plan of God, right? The Roman Empire. And as far as redemptive history is concerned, that was the last empire. Because everything was fulfilled then. Are you all still here with me? It's going to get good here in a minute. Just wait a second. Now listen, we don't need to identify whom the horns represent. Because it's a reoccurring pattern within the kingdoms of this world. And they will continue in this behavior until the coming of Christ. Don't get sucked in and trying to figure out every horn. Understand that there is a reoccurring pattern of violence against the gospel, against the church of Jesus Christ, against his holy people. And this will continue to increase more and more and more until Christ comes. Now, notice that even though the Ancient of Days, notice in our text, which is God the Father, is sovereignly ruling and governing during this time. Until the Son of Man appears victorious, then the dominion of the fourth beast, well, his horn will be taken away. He will be annihilated and destroyed forever. I believe that it's pointless to attempt to identify which political power is the first, second, or third horn. It is just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's pointless. Because once you say it's one thing, this guy over here is going to say it's another. It causes confusion. There's no purpose for it. It doesn't, we don't need to know. The point is that moving on in world history from the Roman Empire, which was the empire when Christ fulfilled all things, there will be one hostile regime after another, ranging from dictatorships to democracies that will rise in fierce opposition to the gospel and to the church of Jesus Christ. You can bank on that. And that interpretation is consistent with other passages of the scripture, and that interpretation is consistent with the pages of world history. Just take a history class, and you'll see it. One country after another, and it's still happening today. I believe that it's pointless to try to determine the precise link of time referred to in this phrase for a time, times, and half a time. 
Scripture is consistent in its teaching that no one knows the day or hour of the Lord's return except the Father who is in heaven. And even though we might not know the day or the hour the Lord return, we know for certain that God has appointed a set number of days that the kingdoms of this world will be in uproar, devising vain things, and taking their stand against the Lord and His anointed. But know this, God has fixed a day when the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord's in the air. And know this, we will always be with the Lord. On that day, our Lord Jesus will hand over the kingdom to our God and Father. And He will abolish all rule, all authority, and all power. I believe that it is that, that all these pointless prophetic speculations are just simply distracting us from the beauty of Daniel's dream. And that's really what I want to focus on in the rest of my time here this morning. If you have a copy of the Bible, what you'll notice is that the portions of the chapter. That are, that are in narration. They're in a, a paragraph form. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, you can look at it at home. So, parts that are, that are dealing with the kingdoms of this world are in paragraph form. Prose. Narration. But notice that Daniel's in description of the eternal kingdom and the kingdom of Christ and his saints, well, they're written in a prophetic and poetry, poetic style. The sections of narration are violent and terrifying, whereas these poetic portions are calm and majestic. The narration sections are horrifying and frightening. But the poetic sessions, sections or portions are royal and they're beautiful. The narration sections, the, the beasts merge out of chaos and confusion. <laughs> Whereas in these poetic portions, the heavenly court is calm and dignified. What's the point? The point is, is God is in control no matter how messed up the world is. Amen? No matter how much chaos is going on down here, no, our God is in control. Now, as Daniel concludes his first section describing the kingdoms of this world, this little horn is still mouthing out its little threats, and Daniel looks, uh, Daniel writes, as I looked. All right, so he's sitting on his bed, he's looking out, he sees the sea, he sees these beasts. And this little horn, and then he says, I looked. The thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and hair on his head was white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and the wheels were all ablaze. The river of fire was flowing 
coming out of him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. This is the eternal kingdom of our God and Father. As that little horn, God is seated on high. Daniel watches the chaos emerging from the kingdoms of this world, listening to this little horn speaking out his words against the Most High God, and he looks and sees the Father's eternal kingdom firmly established. As he witnessed the instability in the world, he looks and beholds the Ancient of Days, our eternal Heavenly Father, sitting on his throne. His clothing and his hair were as white as snow and wool, representing his great wisdom and his radiant purity. Fire was flowing like a river from his throne, symbolizing his eternal authority and perfect judgments. Millions are attending him, standing before him, demonstrating his glorious presence. And the books were opened, showing that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to him with whom we have to do. One can hardly stop from comparing what Daniel is seeing in this beautiful dream to what the psalmist wrote about in Psalms chapter 2. Why are the nations in uproar and people devising vain things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear his fetters apart, cast his cords away from us. And he who sits in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and flurry and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have installed my king. In Zion. You can get all the crazy you want to down here, but it's all good up there. The point is, is that our God reigns. Amen? In the midst of the chaos of this world, guess what? Our God reigns. In the midst of violent attacks, guess what? Our God reigns. In the midst of verbal assault, our God reigns. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. So can't you see what Daniel is doing in this chapter? Daniel is creating a contrast that shows that in this world you will have tribulation. But that we should take courage because the Lord God Almighty has overcome the world. And after a brief interlude describing the destruction of all the beasts, Daniel writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there behold, before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds from heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days, and was led into his presence, and was given authority, glory, Sovereign power, all nations and people of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Brothers and sisters, this is the kingdom of Christ and his saints. This is the day 
that the angels told the early disciples, O men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, which has been taken up into heaven, will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. This is the day that the apostle wrote saying, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. It is so. Amen. This is the day when the Son of Man will come on the clouds of the sky with the power and glory, and He will gather His elect from the four winds into one end of the sky, and we will be together with the Lord. This is the day when the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ, will hand over the kingdom to the God and Father who has abolished all rule, all authority, and all power. Oh my gosh, the preacher is starting to sweat. This is the day. This is the day when the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ, will walk up and take the book out of the hand of Him who sits on the throne, and the heavenly choir will sing the new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, this is the day that Daniel tells us that the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. Talking about you and me. This kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all rulers will worship and obey Him. This is the day when we will hear a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our, our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Amen. <sighs> Daniel describes in beautiful literary fashion the kingdoms of this world until the coming of Christ. The majesty of God the Father's eternal kingdom and the glorious consummation of all things in Christ. But there is one spectacular feature in Daniel's dream that is often missed. And what I'm calling it is the dual screen feature. The deal is this. As Daniel sat on his bed and gazed out into the darkness of the night, he saw a vision of a worldly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. Now, it's important for you to understand that Daniel, what Daniel witnessed in his dream was played out before his, eye, his eyes. And one kingdom didn't replace another kingdom. Daniel saw two kingdoms on a dual screen. The, the worldly kingdom and the heavenly kingdom. Now, of course, we don't know exactly how it worked out, but it's clear that one kingdom didn't replace Another kingdom, like looking through one of these. You guys know what these are? Viewmaster, right? Wow. Ooh. Yeah. One after another, one replacing another. This is not how Daniel saw it. Daniel's dream wasn't like looking through a viewmaster. He looked out into the darkness of the night. And he saw the, the worldly kingdoms down here. 
and the heavenly kingdoms up there, and he saw both of them playing out exactly at the same time. Wow! To attempt what Daniel is talking about here, that he's seeing one present reality. Now, he didn't have the luxury of modern technology. The only thing he had was words. And I want to I show you, I, I just want to try to map this out for you. It, it's so beautiful. And how Daniel uses words to describe this dual screen feature. And he does it by using words like, I looked three times. I continued to watch one time. I watched one time. The end. And he uses these words to form transitions from watching one kingdom to another. So up and down he goes. As he's watching the heavenly, he still sees the, the, the earthly. As he sees the earthly, he still sees the heavenly. He is, and he's using these, these words to describe where his eyes or his main focus was. So, let me try to map this out for you. Daniel's dream begins with the kingdoms of this world, with its ranging beasts being played out in a world stage and the lower portion. And the beasts go from bad to worse, intensifying from one beast to another until they end up with these horns. And, and they go from worse to worse until we end up with this annoying little horn, which is worse than them all, devouring the people of God. And all this is being played out on the lower screen. Got it? And then Daniel, when he thought he's lost all hope, something happens on the upper screen. Notice he writes, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. So, as the world was in uproar against the Lord and his anointed, Daniel sees the heavenly reality of the eternal Heavenly Father, who has always been sitting on his throne, regardless of what the world is doing or what the world is saying, God still reigns. And as he begins to refresh himself with, this, with God's glorious throne room, his, his eye wanders down to the lower, lower portion of the screen, and he writes, notice, Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn was speaking. And then he goes on, And I kept looking until the beast was slain and it, its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. So Daniel couldn't believe his eyes. The wicked beast is dead and the others aren't far behind. So what happened? So as in the lower screen, as the smoke is still smoldering because of the destruction of the kingdoms of this world, his eye gazes upward and he says, And in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and led into him to his presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and people and languages worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What he sees is that Christ has conquered the great enemy of God's people. And he's delivered up the kingdom to God the Father. And has established all rule and authority. But it's not over yet. 
Daniel continues, As I watched, the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed a kingdom. He's basically saying, believers in Christ, that's when they gain their eternal inheritance. The new heavens and the new earth. And then Daniel writes, this is the end of the matter. <laughs> Screen goes black, the end. The reason why this dual screen feature is so spectacular is because it illustrates the reality of our situation right now in our Babylon. Right now, there are two realities going on at the same time. The worldly and the heavenly. The problem is that our perspective is one-dimensional. We only see the things on the bottom of the screen. We only see things from a worldly perspective. But God has given us passage like Daniel chapter 7 to give us eyes to see the heavenly reality. The reality that our God reigns. The reality that Christ is the victor over the world and evil. The reality that Christ has given us an inheritance of the new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. God gave Daniel this dream not just for him, but he gave it to us. Because we're living in the same problem situation that Daniel's living in. Daniel's dream is perfect eschatology. In his dream, he reveals that there will be a progression of wickedness in this world that will increase more and more and more until Christ returns. But during that time, believers must have confidence knowing that our God reigns on high and Christ will emerge as the victor and he will give us an everlasting kingdom. Amen? <sighs> In closing, let's just bring it down to where we are today. You might be here today feeling anxious about the instability that surrounds you. Remember how I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, this is probably what drove Daniel just to have this deep desire for more divine revelation. So much instability surrounded him. And that might be you today. And you need to know, you need to be reminded that heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of God, the kingdom of our Christ, will never pass away. Amen? Don't let the instability of this world rob you from giving glory to God. You might be here today and you feel the attacks of the world are getting progressively worse in your life. You have an annoying little horn. <laughs> and you need the assurance to know that God sits on his throne and he will rescue you. You might be here today and you need to re be reminded that our God reigns. You might be here today and you need to be reminded that Christ has defeated all of his and our 
enemies. Therefore, there is no disease, no addiction, no demon, no bad habit, no fault, no vice, no wickedness, no temper, no moodiness, no pride, no self-pity, no strife, no jealousy, no perversion, no greed, no laziness, that Christ our King cannot overcome in our lives. He reigns and rules. Let Him reign and rule in you. Brothers and sisters, Seek the Holy Spirit for eyes to see. See the world today, your Babylon, not through a view master, but to see the world today through the eyes of a heavenly vision that shows us that our God reigns and He will come to our rescue. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to you today and thank you for the beauty of this chapter of Scripture. At first, it seems so overwhelming and and confusing. But as we see the beauty of how you wrote it down, Lord, we can imagine the confidence and encouragement that it gave Daniel. And Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit to us today and give us that same sorts of confidence and assurance. Lord, we live in a world that we thought for sure is going to fall around us. But Lord, you have never failed us yet. Your promises stand, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, today we need the assurance that even though we might live in the chaos of this world, that we are still in your hands. And we ask you, Lord, to come and minister to our hearts and lives. Give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.